Good morning. Nice to see all of you. It's good to be here. All right. Uh, we are, uh, we are talking, I mean, <laughs> that, this is life, right? This is life on life. This is what we're all here about. I tell you what, I, um, being, uh, being with you today, my, my heart, uh, my heart is, is full uh, to, to share with you uh, from God's word, to share with you uh, from my own very heart. I have been uh, so privileged to be a part of this community here at the Masters College since uh, 1993 is when I came on campus here, uh, and I've been here ever since. And in the process of that, of, of being here, of living, of studying, of uh, working, of serving, of being with um, the people and the students here at the Masters College, that it has transformed my life. That the Lord has, by his good kindness to me, has given to me the Master's College and the people therein. That the college to me is not, uh, it's not a building, uh, it's not, uh, it's not a, really a, an enterprise or an institution, but it's an idea. It's an idea that what if we brought committed young people together and went about study and life and training and experience that would be centered around the lordship of Christ and the sufficiency of his word. What kind of a place would that be? And, uh, and I have been the beneficiary of that. I've had uh, countless men and women, students, faculty, staff, to invest into, to live out, to model uh, life to me. Uh, every opportunity that I get to, uh, to speak in this pulpit, it's another opportunity, frankly, for me to, uh, to give to you what has been entrusted to me. Things in theology and in life that has moved, not just, uh, has moved beyond just the idea, just the ethereal, and has moved into my own very heart and soul. Um, and it's such a joy to share those things with you. Because I deeply care about you. I care about you as the student at the Master's College. Because you have these years in such a remarkable opportunity to forge in your heart a theology and an experience that will be able to set a trajectory for you that will make kingdom impact and echo into eternity. That these years, these days, and they're not separate, the, the way that you wrestle through life and godliness up in the dorms and how you think about it within the classroom and how that's expressed on the intramural court and in your local churches and the road trip during spring break and what you do uh, during your Christmas time and coming back and all of those things knowing and waiting and experiencing the Lord within a committed group of people that long to do the same, God blesses your heart in that. These are remarkable days. They're remarkable days for you as they have been for me. And, um, and I wanted to take this opportunity today to do something uh, a little bit different, um, really in line with this 
theme that we're unpacking in chapel this year, the life on life, is to share with you some, uh, some biblical principles that have been riveted into my own very heart. These are biblical principles that have uh, been crafted here at the college. My time here, both as a student and continuing to be reinforced throughout my time here in service among this community and alongside you, and they have become endeared to me. These biblical principles are ones that, uh, that I share on a daily and weekly basis. These are ones that captivate my very heart and soul and ones that I am reminded of, that I look to and to preach to myself, and that I, on a daily basis at times, encourage and exhort my friends around me to do the same. And so I want to share them with you. Uh, my heart is full to do that. In some ways, if there, was ever, uh, if there was ever one message that I would want to give to you, it would be this one. And that if I never get an opportunity to share with you what the Lord has done in my heart and life as being here at the Master's College and to be able to impart those truths to you from my heart to yours so that you as a student at the Master's College and students in the years to come might be able to pursue and to taste of these same things, then I would be content never to speak in this pulpit again. So I want to share these with you. They're endeared to me, and I give them to you so that you might taste and see and experience them in your own life. So you're going to want to open up your Bibles and you're going to want to open up a pad of paper because I have a lot of them. <laughs> and so you want to write them down to keep track. You want to uh, maybe have them just in your own mind that we can track together. And uh, my hope would be is that one of them or several of them would rivet into your own very heart. So let me move through these together. Today is not going to be uh, a, a traditionally expository, one text-based sermon, as is tradition of this pulpit. It's going to be more topical. So these are going to be biblical principles uh, that are derived from, um, derived from our exegesis of the scriptures, uh, but it's not going to be a traditional sermon as such. But I hope that as we look at them together, uh, that we will see them as true from God's word. Here's the first, here's the first uh, truth. This is what I would want every student at the Master's College to know and to experience as I have grown to know and to experience as well. Here's the first one. God and his word can be trusted God and his word can be trusted. Look, there is this place in everyone's heart, right? In everyone's heart that gets to a spot where, where they're in this crossroads between um, the promises and the temptations of their flesh and the promises and the hope of what is revealed to us in the character of God and his word. We're at this crossroads deciding which one are we going to choose and being tempted in the flesh and the promises in the world on the one side and looking to God's promises on the other at this crossroad of making a decision. And you want to know what? 
I think in those moments, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not actually confused. I'm not confused as to what God's word says in that moment. I'm not confused as to what God's character is in that moment. But the thing that I'm tempted in and the thing that we are all tempted in is to say, is God really going to come through? Is he really gonna do it? Or is somehow I'm gonna obey him, I'm gonna trust his word, and I miss some sort of fine print in Ecclesiastes or Leviticus, and, I, and I'm gonna get gypped. That God's gonna find some sort of divine loophole to not fulfill his promises because somehow I did something that wasn't right. That I'm gonna be put to shame. That I'm gonna be embarrassed. And that if I really, truly leverage all of my life and all of my hope and all of my person and all of my identity and to really believe that what God says is true and even in the face of all these false promises and threats against me from the world and from my flesh that I can fight against that and I can genuinely true and trust my God. I wanna tell you today that you can, that you can, that God And his word is always true and faithful to you. God will never go back on his promises. God can never go back against his character. And that as you you leverage your loving obedience to him, that he will be faithful to fulfill his promises to you. I've watched this happen. People leveraging uh, social status, Leveraging jobs, mortgages, families, relationships, um, engagements that have been at a place to know what is know what is right to do before the Lord and to in faith and trust in him to say, Lord, even in the face of all these temptations, even in the face of all these things that are promising me things, that in the end I am going to trust into you. And I'm going to obey you in faith, right? God never puts us to shame. It's his desire to see himself exalted in our hearts and lives. And he can't do that if he isn't living among us and in us according to his word. According to his word. Psalm 37, 5, reading the word of God to you says this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. If there's nothing else that you get today, get that, right? Can you take that today? Can you take that one phrase, that, that, that one verse in the Bible, and can you leverage that into your life, that practical small moment in your life when you're at the crossroads? And I'm here to tell you that at that crossroads, for you to draw upon that and say, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. What a great promise that is. Psalm 118.9 says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Doesn't that resonate in your heart as it does in mine? That temptation to say, I'm going to trust this person. I'm going to trust this theory. I'm going to trust this group over trusting my God. You have to fight against that. And it says here, according to Psalm 118.9, it says, it's better. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than in princes. Princesses, princes. John 17, 17 says, 
Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Now all of a sudden this phrase that happens all through, all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, one phrase continues to echo and to echo out then. It's Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. How and why can you be courageous? Have you ever thought about that? How in the world can you be courageous? How in the world can I be courageous? How can that happen? The way that I can be strong and I can be courageous is not in me. But I can be strong and courageous knowing that as I lovingly trust and obey my God, that he will act. That he will act. Strength, courage, commitment, all happens not out of our own will, but out of the trust in our God. Because don't we live in a society where everyone who seeks to be strong, everyone who says that they have the wire on life, everybody says that this is the way to live, one day or another ends up failing in their own philosophy? God does not. God does not, and we can trust him. And we can trust him. Psalm 25, uh, 2 and 3 says this. It says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, no one who waits for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed all together. Sometimes we don't even know what, what is going to happen. And in the uncertainty of this world, in the uncertainty of life, we might not know everything that's happening in our world, but the one thing we can know and trust in is God and his word. And in a world of uncertainty, in a world of challenges, in a world of promises that I want to share with you that over my time here at the college and in my life, the older and older I get, the more true biblical principle is, is that God and his word, friend, can be trusted with everything that you have and your own very life. Are you in that place? Do you struggle trusting your God? Fighting against and rallying through who's in control and who has the right way? Trust in him. Trust in him because he never goes against his promises and his character. And you can leverage that in everything that you are. Really helpful book that was very seminal to me in my early days uh, was a book uh, named Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. It was a, uh, and if you're a biblical counseling major, I think you read it like nine times when you're here. Um, the professors forget that we all like that book. <laughs> But read it, have it, find it. I still have uh, my book in my office there that has a bookmark, has a bookmark that I bought in New Zealand when I was on a go trip as a senior. And I brought that book with me uh, to go on that trip. And I still have the bookmark there. And it reminds me of all the things that the Lord had taught me. And he taught me that I can trust him with everything that I am. Here's a second one I want to impart to you today. Theology that I want every student to know 
from a heart that's experienced it and learned them here at the college so that we might together continue to grow in them. The second one is this. Holiness is better than sin. Holiness is better than sin. Do you know that the sinfulness of sin actually isn't in its pleasure? The sinfulness of sin is not in its pleasure. The sinfulness of sin is that it promises to, to satisfy. That it promises to satisfy. Again, at that crossroads between our flesh and the spirit, that moment where the promises of sin is saying, this is good, this is comfortable, this will help you, this will give you purpose, this will give you um, value. That again, that when you taste of it and the sin, isn't it true that the pleasures of sin go away so quickly, but yet the pain and shame last longer? Tell you what, the way to fight sin, friends, is not in pure mortification. Nobody can do that. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know if any of you have ever tried that. I don't know, maybe it was just like a mid-90s Waldock thing. I'm not going to sin today. All day today, I will will myself not to sin. Are you with me? I'm with you. Okay, great. We are not going to sin. We walk out and we sin, right? It's, it, it, it just, it, it, it's hard to will yourself not to sin. It also happens up in the dorms this way, and guys are more like this, right? The girls aren't as much, but guys are in terms of accountability groups. If you do this again, I'm going to break your nose, Right? Guys do that. I don't know why guys do that, but they do. One more time, that's it. I'm gonna text you. If it happens, I'm coming to get you, right? Right? So all day, guys are walking around, they're texting, did you, did you, no, yes, thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Right? You know, it's just, it happens across the way. You, you do that, and there's this, there's, this, there's, this sense that, there's a sense that if you will yourself, if you will yourself, that you can mortify your sin. And if you have enough accountability around you, that, that you can mortify your sin. That's only half of the equation. Our hearts, our hearts are, are hungry. Our hearts have thoughts and intentions, as it says in Hebrews 4, 11, that it desires things, it longs for things. And you can't just mortify sinful pleasure without replacing it with something better. You can't mortify sinful pleasure without replacing it with something better because your heart longs for those things. Your heart longs for satisfaction and comfort and belonging. How much more so is the gospel and pure and holiness taste better than that? In the moment, you ask yourself the question, is that true? Is it really? Is holiness really better? Is righteousness really better than this fleeting moment? It is. It is. The longer that I live on this planet, friends, the more and more that the promises in the brochure of sin just aren't as good. All the promises, all the things that sin gives and promotes, the longer you live on this planet, you realize that they're not as true as they say they are. But the opposite is also true. That as you taste in the most fleeting expression of holiness before your God, that it creates a hunger and a thirst for righteousness 
that can and is satisfying. As a student here, I've been here and I've experienced that sort of pleasure and joy. Holiness is not something that's rote piety. Holiness is joy. Holiness is satisfaction, right? Psalm 1611. Are we familiar with it? Um, reading the word of God, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A passage of scripture that uh, was shared to me from this pulpit many, many years ago, Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13. It says this, Jeremiah speaking to the people of Israel, be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have first forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewn out for themselves cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a great visual picture. God is saying to the people of Israel, come and drink, come from the natural spring and you have rejected this to make yourself a cistern, a place to hold rainwater that's broken and it can hold no water. See the contrast? Friends, I appeal to you, friends as one is, uh, is among you, that as you look at the pleasures of sin and the goodness and righteousness and holiness and tasting of that before your God, I want to remind us here today that holiness is better. It's better. And for those of you who have tasted of that, for those of you who have known and have fought your sin and in the quiet moments of your heart rejected your flesh and put it off and put on righteousness because you set your mind on the things above and you know that your life is hidden in Jesus Christ and you are able to then live rightly because you're not a slave to sin anymore out of Romans 6, but rather you are alive in Christ. And in that moment, in the quietness of your own life that you taste of and you see holiness, that moment, let me tell you, friends, that there is a wealth of that for you to taste of and turn to your friends turn to your turn to the people on your wing turn to the people in your class you turn to them and tell that story it's better it's better it's better hebrews 11 24 through 27 i love this you know on the uh, passage of faith moses uh talks about moses right hall of faith there in the first part of hebrews 11 says, reading the word of God to you in verse 24, it says, by faith, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Is that not a remarkable passage? Is that a remarkable passage? Moses says that Moses, Moses chose, Moses chose to follow Christ. Moses chose to taste of the divine nature. Moses moved in, in contrast to the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Because he knew the reward was better. When you're in the quiet moments of your heart and you're fighting that, and you're fighting up against your own sin. Just being a good Christian and just doing the right thing and just not sinning because you're not supposed to 
isn't enough. Is it? But when holiness is at stake, the gospel is at stake. Pleasure and joy is at stake to say, wait a minute, as I mortify my sin, that God has promised me that, that the moment of tasting righteousness tastes better than the sum total of my sin and shame, then I will choose that. And in that moment, that that pursuit is better. Pursue better things. Pursue right things. That when you're fighting your sin, that it's not just about mortification, but that it's pursuing better things. It's not that we're against holiness, right? I mean, we're at the master's college, right? We talk about holiness, we sing about holiness, right? Um, so we're not presuming that. We're not saying, well, holiness doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, I think sometimes that we fill our, we fill our hearts with lesser things, that our appetite for holiness isn't cultivated, that if you put enough half lesser things together that you're full and you actually don't have an appetite for greater things. So let me, by way of encouragement, remind us as well, as you mortify your sin, it will allow your heart that is hungry and thirsty to find an appetite for holiness. And in some ways in your own life that you need to mortify your flesh just so you can understand what holiness tastes like in the first place. You agree with it, you understand it, but once you taste of it, you'll fight for it for the rest of your life. Once you taste of it, you will fight for it for the rest of your life. And let me, let me tell you, okay? From my own very life and being here on this campus, that there are promises and things of sin that would have captivated my heart as a 19-year-old student that today doesn't tempt me at all because I've tasted of something better. Because I've tasted of something better. Here's the next one I want to share with you this morning. Um, we are dependent, we are dependent not independent beings. We are dependent, not independent beings. I don't know what it is about being a college student, but there's like a, there's like a Superman logo on like everybody's chest, right? <laughs> I know it because I played intramurals here and I thought that I could, right? Uh, it actually happened at SLS retreat. I was out there and I was playing ultimate Frisbee with my, uh, my dear friend, Dave Hewlett. And we were up there huffing it up and down. And, and I was there and with all the SLSers and we were playing ultimate Frisbee and the Frisbee, the Frisbee threw, right? And I was there and I was ready to go and I jumped for it. And in my mind, I went 10 feet high. It was awesome. In my mind, it was in slow motion. I went up, whew, and I just barely missed it in my mind. <laughs> and I came back down. And then this dude came over there. And he called me on it. This dude came over and goes, you thought you jumped higher than that, didn't you? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Because I only went, literally, I went about this high is what happened. But in my mind, in my mind, I'm invincible. In my mind, I'm independent. In my mind, I think that I can do things in my own strength. In my mind, I think that I'm in control of things. In my mind, I think that I'm always right. In my mind, I always think that. And isn't that true during the college years? Isn't that true during the college years? That 
I'm the, one who's, I'm the one who's putting together my schedule. I'm the one who needs to be in charge. I'm the one who's making choices. That in some ways you have so many decisions and so many things that are happening that you actually start to believe that you can live life on your own. But you have to understand that there's nothing that we can do on our own. As a human, as a human being, we've been designed to be a dependent being. That in our posture and who we are, we actually don't have capacity to do things, but rather we are very dependent. But yet it's in those college years that, that it seems as though that, that we can do anything, that, 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 there isn't, that there's a prayerlessness in our hearts and in our lives because, um, because I can accomplish things on our own. That there's that time where everything converges together in life, and, and the way that you get through it is not through a posture of dependency, but through independency. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'll just stay up later. I'll just work harder. I'll just do better. I'll just be better instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm not. I need God's help. I need God's help. We do not possess the capacity to save ourselves, and we don't have the capacity to change ourselves. We're completely and utterly dependent upon the grace of God in every single area of our lives. And as we embrace our dependency, the flourishing of this life begins. When we remember and we live that there is a God of the universe who is Lord and King and sovereign over all, and I am his created being, that and as I live in dependency of him, that I will be an image bearer that will bring him honor and glory, that life begins to open up. Dependency breeds humility and contriteness. A humility and a contrite of heart that says that I need to learn, I need to understand, I, 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 I need help. I'm a dependent person, I'm a person who's needy, who, who needs things, who needs help. And, and in my posture is one of not of pride and of arrogance, but one of humility and contriteness. Life is best lived in a dependent state, in a humble state. You know, one of the greatest things you can do is ask God for help. Ask God for help. Help me. In some ways, the most purest, most purest prayer that a Christian can pray is the small moment of in your own heart, in dependency to God, saying the simple phrase, help me, help me. It communicates so much, doesn't it? All the theology of Ephesians 2, all the theology of what we know about life and humanity, all the theology of Romans eleven thirty six, everything of who God is and who I am not comes in that one particular moment where I say, I am in need and will you help me? And God in his promises answers those things, it does. Dependency also takes correction and discipline, it does. I'm in need of help. I'm in need of change. And so when the discipline of the Lord comes, that it's not fought against an independency. I don't need that. I, I fight against circumstances. I, I fight against God's pursuit of me. I fight against the appeals of my friends because I don't need them. I don't need them. I don't need them. And that independent heart kicks against your own created order of being one that is dependent. 
And the dependent person embraces God's discipline. I can tell you. I mean, I've seen it countless times. Countless times. The moment in the chair with a friend where they finally do this. That moment where they give of their hearts and they relinquish their will and they stop fighting for their own kingdom come and their own will to be done and they submitted in dependency to their God and it frees them. It frees them. It's freed me and it will free you. That is what it means for the truth to set you free. Is that you know accurately who you are and who your God is and you live accordingly. And it is one that is in a dependent state. And our God knows us and our God comes to us and our God helps us. In our dependent state, he is most on display. Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16. What a remarkable passage in this way. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that being Jesus, the son of man, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isaiah 66, 2 says this, all these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one of whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, it was a really provoking verse in my heart during my early years at the college was Galatians 3.3. It says this, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh. Riveting to me, exposing to me and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, humbled. The older you get, the more you realize how dependent you are. And the older you are, the more grateful you are for God's provision and help in time of need. Are you a dependent person? Does that, does that reality, does that principle, does that relate to you as a, as a TMC student here today? I want to be one to share with you out of my own heart uh, that we are dependent and we aren't independent beings. And it's best to live the way that we were created for our joy and for God's glory. Ready for another one? I have a lot of them, I know. But here's another one. Here's a third one or fourth one. Life is a vapor. Life is a vapor. Being among this community for so long that I can tell you that in a moment's notice, someone's life can be over. 
that life is not guaranteed for any one of you in this room. And that by divine appointment, according to his will and his timing, that the Lord takes home his elect at the time that he desires. And there's something about the college years where you don't think about death. Something about the college years where everything that you do is all about the future. Everything that you do is all about planning for tomorrow. All of your investment is to yield later. Let me tell you that you might not have later. And tomorrow might come sooner than you think. Death is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. What? The reality is of your life is that your life is just a vapor, as it says in James, but eternity is right at your doorstep. So many times we flounder our days, don't we? Why in the world do we flounder our days? Have you ever thought about that? Why in the world, like, your buddy is, like, like binge-watching whatever sort of TV show on Netflix for, like, four days? What are you doing? What are you doing? You want to know what he's doing? He thinks that he has another day to live. Do you really think, do you really think that if he or if somebody else, that, that there are hospital rooms around America, that there are places where people know the eminent place of death, that they're gonna spend their days doing that? But we do, don't we? I mean, we do. That's why we squander our days. That's why we choose lesser things. That's why we, uh, that's why we do th- different things that are, uh, that are not of eternal value. Why? Because we think about the harder thing or the thing that's of most value that we can do later. That we can do later. Friends, life is a vapor. James 4, 13 through 17 says this, reading the word of God, says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Friends, live, live today. Live today. Choose meaningful things today. Choose to trust in your God today. Choose to taste of holiness today. Choose to live in a dependent state today. Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the future comes faster than you think. And enjoy everyday moments. Enjoy everyday moments. One of the greatest things about knowing that life is a vapor and that my identity and my life isn't wrapped up in in all of the kind of frivolous things of this day is that you can enjoy the everyday things of life in light of eternity, can't you? That as your heart and your hope is placed in eternal things, as the weightiness of your days is put against eternal things, then the beauty of the everyday moment becomes a delight and not something that you have to suck all of your contentment and joy in. Enjoy a good cup of coffee. Enjoy holding the hand of your true love. Enjoy a sunset. Enjoy a wonderful composed song. Enjoy all of those things. But know that those things don't bring meaning. And it doesn't fulfill your life. But yet the eternal things are. 
Listen to Ecclesiastes 12, 1. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. <laughs> Friends, I tell you what, the longer you live on the planet, the more you think about your mortality. And the older you live, the more you wish you thought about your mortality during your youth because you feel like you squandered it when you would have rather invested it knowing what you know now. As your friend, as one who's walked with you, as one who's been impacted, this is a truth of God's word that has shaped me, that I learned here, that I've seen work itself out here, and that in the end, the praise and the glory to Jesus Christ is to say that this isn't everything, but yet it's just a vapor. So let us invest the days that we have for eternity, and let us not squander them away thinking that we will have tomorrow, because we don't know if we will, and frankly, the future comes faster than we know. That's why at the end of Ecclesiastes 12, it says this. It says, the end of the matter is this. After all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What's your commitment? What's your commitment? Um, are you gonna be about eternal things today? Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't think about that you're gonna live this Christian life outside of here. Realize that the choices that you make here get echoed into your life outside of here. The choices that you make today echo into what you do tomorrow and invest those into eternity. Live today. Pursue things today because in the end, it goes faster than you think. I have a lot more, but I'm actually just going to stop there. Uh, we're out of our time. I have a long list. Maybe the next time I come up, maybe I can finish out some of the other ones uh, that we have here. But it seems fitting that that's a great place to stop and so enough things for us to reflect on today. Um, let me say this. Let me say this. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share these things and for your involvement here and shaping those things into my heart and life. I'm grateful. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then we will be dismissed. Let's pray. Lord, we want to stop here for a moment and just thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, the goodness that has been revealed to us through your word and in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God, we want to thank you particularly for the opportunity to be here together at the Master's College. And that what a rich opportunity it is to know and to think and to explore the richness of your revelation to us and the person of Jesus Christ. And to do that in the context of this community of friendship. And Lord, I pray that the things that we learn together that we might share with one another, not just in terms of a theology, but in our own very hearts. Lord, I pray that these students would reflect upon these things today as you have instilled them into my heart and giving, them, giving it to them with my true love and affection. So I pray that they would be encouraged and strengthened in their inner man as they serve you today. So I pray all of these things for them and for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.